Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We will be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, property, leadership, law, philanthropy, and life. This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, uh, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Please do leave a review as it helps to get the word out and about. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. I am the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine. And I will be your host for the show. This summer, the city of Birmingham will be hosting the largest global event of the year called the Commonwealth Games. And this will be taking place during July and August. And of course, billions will be watching this event. This type of event and similar events take years to plan. So imagine being the chair of the board asked to deliver the event and covid comes along and completely disrupts your plan. Do you remember Tokyo 2020? Actually, it was Tokyo 2021. So in this episode, we speak to the chair of that board, John Crabtree, and we ask him his reflections during COVID, how he dealt with the crisis, and of course, what does leadership mean to him? So why don't we just pop over and listen to the very insightful John Crabtree OBE. Well, well, let me, um, for those who don't know, and I'm extraordinary if they don't know, but let me just quickly give a bit of a CV on who's sitting in front of me. So you were the former president of the Birmingham Chamber of Commerce, director of Advantage West Midlands, which is a regional uh, investment board, you were voted 2003 West Midlands Businessman of the Year. 2004, you were voted UK Lloyd of the Year. Um, you've received doctorates from Birmingham University, Birmingham City University. You were the High Sheriff for the West Midlands, 2006 and seven, And in 2017, uh, you became the Lord Lieutenant of the West Midlands. I think you've chaired the Hippodrome and you've chaired quite a few other organisations. But I'm here today because you are the Chair of the Board of Directors charged with delivering the Commonwealth Games. And for those who don't know, uh, that's taking place on the 28th of July to the 8th of August. Um, the biggest global event in 2022, and you are the man at the helm. And it's an extraordinary global event. All the eyes will be on Birmingham and the West Midlands and the UK and I bet in March 2020, when certain things hit the UK and the globe, I wondered what you were thinking as the chair of the biggest global event due to happen two years later. What did go through your mind, John? And, and great to have you on the yeah, show. Yeah, well, you're asking me to remember what we've all forgotten, haven't we? Because it was yes. a strange time, wasn't it? So all these rumours going around. I think the first thing was someone saying to me that anybody over 70 had to stay at home for 13 weeks. So I think you must be joking, because obviously that's me. <laughs> so I went home and told Donna that. And we've got two teenage kids at home, so that wasn't really going to work, was it? 
um, actually, of course, what happened, lockdown was such a shock, wasn't it? And what happened, as well as what was happening here in the business world, everything was upside down, wasn't it? Everything was up for grabs. How long were things going to take? So I don't think I had too much time for reflection. I, my recollection is that these words like Zoom and Teams and Google Meet and all these sort of things, new words came into yeah. my vocabulary. And pretty much from 6 in the morning till 10 at night, relentlessly, I was just doing that, doing that. And mainly around business as well as here. And, and of course, on the horizon was the Tokyo Games, which is almost like a footprint yeah. of what was going to happen yeah. here. So you were obviously watching the Tokyo Games. And of course, they were adamant at the start, we are going to go ahead fully fledged. And in the end... They did a, obviously a, a sort of a, a, a lesser version. Were you thinking this could be us at the Commonwealth yeah, Games? Yes of, yes, of course. Of course I was, yeah. So so we were immediately into some issues. Obviously, the capital projects were the first things. And a, a lovely Birmingham story, actually, and a Samwell story. So that the uh, contractors at uh, the, the, the Aquatic Centre in Samwell and at Alexander Stadium, they, they, in both different contractors, they got all the lads and lasses together said to them, we don't know how serious this is, we don't know how dangerous this is. Do you remember that? We all know now, but at the time, we didn't know they were talking about 1%, 2% deaths. No one knew how bad it was. People take it home to their family. So they said, we'd quite understand if you want to walk off site. But if you do, of course, that would be the end of it, really. And they all put their hand up and they carried on, which was fantastic. And if you go around there, they're finished now, but if you'd gone around there a few months ago, the spirit, the atmosphere, the excitement, yeah, just the sheer pride of all those people who just battled on and got it done. So obviously that was the first big risk. And then the village, remember the village that was yeah, going to be built? Yeah. That was the next thing. It was quite clear that was never going to be finished in time once COVID struck, because that was such a big development. So how are we going to house all the athletes? Yeah. And so we obviously had clear that was all the way up through the civil service, up through the through the, up, up right up the prime minister as well at the time, and then and then go and talk to the universities and the NEC negotiate with them within our budget. So all, you know, all that was incredibly time-consuming. And the thing that people forget, this was a start-up. So it's all very well saying we'll end up with 1,500 people. We started with one. So yeah. you know, by the time, I can't give the numbers, but, but at that time, we were probably 100, 150 people. So we, we were still recruiting, but we were recruiting people we never saw apart from the neck upwards. My director of legacy, Nicola Turner, I interviewed and signed her up in March, met her here above where we are now, and I didn't see her again for months, apart from on a screen. And, and, and how did you find, um, because they say leadership is truly tested in moments of crisis. I mean, this was a huge crisis. And, and so, so how testing was it to keep everybody in the, on the executive level on track? And, and despite, despite all that was going around you, how, how difficult did you find that person? No, well, actually not difficult. I, mean, this, I don't want to sound too grand, but... No. You get to a certain point, you know, I've been through a few business crises in my life, of course. Um, every decision has its own timetable, and you learn that. So you, you're faced with a dilemma. Faced with a well, obviously, some things you have to decide straight away um, and make a decision there on the spot. Other things, no, I've got time over this, I've got time. Yeah, and let other people think about it, let other people have their thoughts on it and listen, listen to those thoughts and make the decision, make a timely decision, but don't be rushed into things particularly those big capital projects, yeah. those big long-term decisions, which in a way that you might regret. So one of the first things you do in those situations is, yeah, how long have I got to decide this? What's the timetable for this decision? And then everyone will be yapping away, saying, oh, the person is desperate now. And you think it through yourself. I think, well, it's, yeah, that's probably not, actually. Let's take a bit more time over it. So I don't remember it being... Um, yeah, life's like that anyhow, isn't it? I'm, my expression of that is I take 
the stuff to bed with me every night. You know, every every business needs someone who yeah. takes it to bed with them every night, takes a strategy to bed with them every night. It's constantly thinking about where this business should be, where it should be heading, whatever the issues are of the day. So, so I'm sort of, I think you get used to that. So just a couple of questions. You, you talk about crisis in the past when you were running yeah. businesses. Of course, there's a bit of a difference here because part of your crisis management involves stakeholders sitting at number 10 and at number 11. Yeah. Most businesses don't have that extra stakeholder. You had the stakeholders, Birmingham City Council. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, so you had a number of stakeholders that you also had to stay in touch with, and you're balancing all of that. So how difficult was it managing those stakeholders, which most businesses don't have to worry about other than managing the business? How difficult was that? Well, looking back on it, because it's not much different now, actually. There are issues today, aren't there? Um, People get themselves you know, excited about different things, don't they? So, you know, some you know, there were issues, obviously, that took a lot of talking around. But, but again, in the way I've just said, you, you can pretty much anticipate where people are going to come from, and probably sometimes it's good to let them have a long say, yeah, yeah, you know, get it out of the system a bit, yeah, and then yeah. and then not, not start arguing at the beginning. Come, you know, come back with a reasoned response once they've got it all out on the table. I, I don't. The one good thing. I, when I look back on the games, when I look back on the things I think have been really valuable, one of them high up there will be the way the partners, the stakeholders have come together. We're not famous in this region for working yeah. together. We're not yeah. Greater Manchester. We're Birmingham, yeah. Black Country, Coventry, yeah. aren't we? Combined authority. We're not well known for being people who work, collaborate well together. The collaboration on the games has been excellent. I honestly haven't had a difficult moment with Andy Street or Ian Ward or yeah, we've all and, and the leaders of uh, Coventry, Wolverhampton, for example, Shirley Howe, Samwell, all the people who are involved in the games have all worked really well together. Uh, there's not been that sort of which I gather has happened in previous games. There's not been a lot of tension, not a lot of land grabbing. That's what you normally get, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. want the credit for this. This is mine. Yeah, not too much of that. Not too much of that. Well, well, I I, I can testify to that because. Um I used to sit on the Black Country lap, and when the whole proposal about the Commonwealth Games came into play, I don't recall anybody in the Black Country saying, well, that's their problem, not ours. And everybody did chip in. Well, that's, so that's a, absolutely Well, right. that's a really good example. So when I took the role on and looked at it, obviously I knew nothing about it until I did. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot in Coventry, there was a lot in Solihull, there was nothing in the Black Country, which obviously wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and it had all been carved up and agreed where it was all going to go, and, and clean the two bicycle, bicycle races yeah. were down in Coventry and Warwickshire. But then I, I talked to Coventry, I talked to Leps, I talked to talked to Birmingham City Council. It didn't take long before there was an agreement. Actually, you no, know, one of the cycle races should be up in the Black Country. You know, no one really fought for it, which is excellent. Yeah, so yeah. it starts in Wolverhampton now, as you know. Yeah. It'll be a terrific event. The Black Country will love it. And of course, we've got the Aquatic Centre in Sandwell, yeah. which is going to be a world class. I think that'll probably be the thing that everyone will look at after us. Yeah. I think yeah. it'll be extraordinary. We're, we've got a great plan. So, uh, as you know, Muslim women don't swim. Yeah, they're not trained to swim. I've got a colleague here who works for me very closely, Shah, who's a woman in her mid-40s, never swum in her life. You've never worn a swimming costume. Yeah, all the things you know you would expect. So she's, we're teaching her to swim. And the plan is you know, to teach 10,000 young Muslim girls to swim in that swimming pool. Yeah, pretty shortly, yeah, within a short time after the Aquatic Centre. That would be terrific, wouldn't it? It'd be a lot of fun as well. Absolutely. Uh, you talked about going to sleep with the strategic plan. You, you know, it keeps you awake at night wondering what's... Is that one of the things that has always dogged major events, particularly Olympics and Commonwealth Games, is the numbers, the finance. And of course, as COVID hit, 
that must have taken yeah. a hit on the numbers because suddenly sponsors are thinking, is this going to take place? Yeah. How much of a, how much of a, a problem were the numbers, or did it all work out in the end, or was it? It all worked out in the end. Wow. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's quite obvious to anybody who's listening to this who's involved in business that it, you know, the, the budget didn't go to plan. <laughs> how, how could it? Odd thing, I mean, ironically, odd things happen. Yeah, we've recruited behind the curve. That yeah. saves some co- That wasn't the plan. It's just the way it's inevitably it's been. Um, there was quite a lot of costs went into rerouting all the, the village into the universities. A lot of money went into COVID planning because obviously yeah. we had we had to plan for different scenarios. It's all very well to say we're the one we're in now, but you think a year ago we weren't thinking we'd be in this one. Um, we could have been in state. We could have been running the games, but no spectators. That was quite possible, wasn't it? A lot of costs for that. Correct. Sponsorship was bound to come in late. Um, Ironically, perhaps we've done well on sponsorship. We've got the largest number of sponsors of any Commonwealth Games, oh, well as done. it happens. Oh, well done. I think a lot of that is down to this great city, what it's got to offer, the richness of the city, its youth, its energy. And, and a lot of it probably is down to COVID, ironically. The people are thinking, yeah, we haven't been out there doing much in the last couple of years. Yeah, we need to get our name out there. How can we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so catching up, catching yeah, up. Yeah, so all the sponsors I've met and spoken to, they've all got slightly different reasons. Um, for why they've supported the games, but 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 that is in there somewhere, and there's a lot of, quite rightly now, a lot of interest in major corporates in inclusivity, uh, in the broader sense of the word, yeah, EDI yeah. and all the rest of it, and and the fact that we've really focused on that, you know, the games for everyone, in this city and in this region, I think has also made it particularly attractive. Uh, you, you were speaking about recruitment and how, uh, actually, you were having to do it through through Zoom. Um, did you think at, at some point, because these people are people, did you think, oh, crikey, this, this system of recruitment, we might be taking some people on exactly we don't know about. Were there risks attached yeah. to that sort of recruitment? Absolutely. And apart from the fact it's an amazing event, it's not a great offer, is it? You know, come and work for us, and we guarantee you in August 2022 we'll make you redundant. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily where people see their careers, but but it is a very it is an exciting, attractive thing to do, isn't it? And... and Probably, if you go back three years ago, and you'd ask me this question, I said, "Well, one thing it won't be a problem will be recruitment because there's yeah. Yeah, plenty of people looking for work, plenty of opportunities here." And ironically, as you know now, yeah, the labour market's really tight, so actually yeah. it's been a real challenge. So, if you walked around this building too, and looked at people too closely, you'd see some pretty tired-looking people. They're, yeah, they're working they're flat out. We haven't really quite got the numbers we need. And is everything on track? Yeah. As, as per the original? Gen- generally, yeah. Well, yeah. It's a trite thing. I've been saying it for three years, yeah, my fingers crossed behind my back. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're on time, we're on budget. Yeah, because what else can you say? But actually, I could say it now. Look, my hands are completely not crossed at all. It's true. Yeah, we're on time and on budget. And yeah, we're in line. Yeah, we'll come within budget at Great Games, which will be quite something, won't it? Now, um, Infrastructure mm-hmm. is important, getting people around, moving people around. Um, they say uh, one of the things to plan for is the unplannable. In other words, the crisis you can't see coming. A month ago, I didn't see this coming, but it's coming. A national rail strike. Yeah. Now, you know, crikey, it's crisis after crisis. So I know it's happening in the summer. I don't know the dates. I think it's June, July or something, but it's quite close any 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 observations on that? Do you well, think that's going to be a problem? Uh, yeah, probably a single bullet to the head. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've worked so hard on that. Obviously, yeah. the transport, 
apart from the, the venues themselves, the transport response we ran here, as you know, is with a, a combined authority. Right. Who, who put a lot of effort into it. And you can see the council have delayed some of their work, for quite rightly, but you can see it happening now, can't you? Yeah. Roads being improved. So, and, and, and the people who run the transport plan here have done it before, very knowledgeable. So I, I, you know, I say to them quite often, yeah, I know Birmingham inside out. You, know, you cannot get from the Bell site to Alice yeah. Stadium in that time. They say, well, tr- trust us, you will be able to on the day. So I'm, I'm, I'm as confident as I can be that good people have done the work. I obviously, I can't check that myself, but a rail strike would be would be very disappointing, wouldn't it? But but and, and how, you know, it, it, we, we can put on extra buses, extra yeah. Bit, but yeah, that, you, you know that. Yeah. 40 people in the bottom of a bus, 40 people up top. Yeah. That's hardly a train, is it? No. No, yeah, so, and uh, all the logistical problems of that. So we're starting to we're starting to see what we can do and what we can plan. But a rail strike would be be very disappointing. It would be very hard on this city. Yeah. We, you know, we've had forty years of economic decline here. That's then right. we had austerity, and then COVID. Yeah, this place has had a hammering, economically and socially, yeah. hasn't it? COVID didn't help. And so, you know, for, for this one great opportunity to come along to give us all a bit of an economic lift, to have a rail strike would be tough. But of course, the good news is the tram should be the tram should be up and running yeah, by here I'm, today. Yeah. So that's that's I, good. I th- they will be. I'm sure they will be. Yeah. yeah so, so, yeah. so the, tra- so the yeah. tram is good. Yeah. So, so one of the things people always talk about major events, particularly around the Commonwealth and Olympics, is the legacy bit. So when everybody's disappeared, mm. um, I know you said a, a few minutes ago, you know, when the games are finished, people disappear. But there's a legacy element to it. What does that legacy look like for those people? From the West Midlands and Birmingham, what would that legacy? Yeah, look so we like? all have to. Yeah, we all we're all interested in different things, aren't we? So obviously you've got the capital projects you've talked about, and the um, the the branding of the city and the you know, business and tourism program, all of that. I'm sure we'll, the business and tourism program will probably go on for ten years, fully funded. So all of that. My interest has been. Um, so, it, so obviously, what you get is a slanted answer from me. My interest has been in bringing opportunities to young people because we know. And that was before COVID, yeah. even more important now. So we, we've raised the funds for a terrific schools program, an outreach program, which started only started in January. We had to get them raise the money, get up and running. We've got a fantastic team. If you met this team here, you'd be overwhelmed by what they're doing and their energy and their enthusiasm. That will run on after the games. Um, that will reach most of the, most of the, the children in the West Midlands, um, a million of them. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got a, a generation 22 which is bringing opportunities to you know, people who are you know, lacking opportunity out- outreach that we've got funding for that for some time as well um, we've captured all the volunteers so we're going to have a database of 20,000 people who want to volunteer that yeah, we, we can use we've, we've, we've um, something that game has never done before which is quite innovative we we offered our logo to charities who reached us, you know, who pitched and had to get to a certain level. We've got 130 of those we can work with now going forward. We've got some real skills in our team here that we can you know, help them raise more money through capacity building. Um, and then, again, very uh, a good idea, I think. We In all our procurement contracts, we had a 10%, you know, you, you, you value a procurement contract 100% on money, quality, or the rest of it. We allocated 10% to social value. So everybody who bid for a procurement contract had to say what social value they would deliver to us and that's worth millions so we can capture that and use that going forward as well so I'm, I'm, I, we've done some things here which have never been done before I think the Federation are really impressed with those and, and we'll take them to Victoria um, so, so I think the legacy hasn't started yet that's where I, I, I believe it'll, it'll be post-games and we can do a lot 
I, I thought uh, one of the comments you made earlier, which was uh, an interesting one, was around diversity. I mean, it's a huge diversity. The region's very diverse. How difficult was it to capture all the stakeholders, all the communities? I mean, that must have been... It's, it's so difficult, been, isn't it? So difficult. I've, I mean, in the lieutenancy, so you know this, um, I've tried so hard, before games ever came along, to get get data. I know that every three years in Birmingham, we welcome people from over 180 different countries to become British citizens. I know that. I meet them. Where do they go? Well, of course, they all go, tend to go and join their communities, don't That's they? Right. So just in Birmingham alone, we probably have up to 185, 190 you know, communities of different heritage in our great city, That's all right. living side by side. I mean, it's a brilliant thing. Yeah. But to get to know those communities and reach them and try and bring things to them is a, is a real struggle. And there is no data. I've tried so no. many different ways to get it. So come, come forward to the games. It, the, the, yeah, that's that's been a challenge, no question of that. And I'm sure there will be communities with a small C who feel that um, we haven't reached them. We've, we've got a, com- a community engagement team of about a handful of people here. That's yeah. all we can afford. <clears throat> it's, it's not our job to do community engagement. Our job is to put yeah. the games on. That's right. But I nagged and nagged and nagged and chivered and got some money for those people. But they can't reach three million people. So we get criticised for that. I understand the criticism. I'd, I'd, you know, for not reaching everybody, but it just, you know, it's just almost impossible. But we're still working flat out at it. I think it goes both ways. The communities need to reach well, out. Well, there's a bit of me feels well, isn't it? Both we, ways. We, you, there's so much social media, so much on our website. We've run right. so many programs for businesses about procurement. You know, the first one I did had 500 people there. Yeah, we've done so much of that. So communication is a two-way thing in a way. Yeah, but we way. still have people who say you haven't told us about this. Yeah, and, and it's. We're doing a lot more in the next few months. So we're, really, we're really going to give it everything we've got, try and reach more communities. He has used that word. It's our community in India, isn't yeah. it? We're all in this together, aren't that's we? And that's right. a bit I struggle with a bit. That, that you, you want every, This is such a unique opportunity for everybody. You know, if you're a neighbour, everybody should get behind it. And we would have made mistakes. And afterwards, you know, people can <laughs> chuck eggs at us. But, but at the moment, the thing is to do our best to make it work. And, and how are the tickets going? The uh, tickets we're up going? to 1.2, 1.3 million. Wow. Out of 1.7. Wow. There's still some on the market, uh, you know, for some of the smaller events, and yeah, yeah, special yeah. events, uh, early cricket matches, for example. Um, I've, we, we're well above where we thought we would be, and they'll carry on selling, I think. Quite extraordinary. Yeah. From where uh, we were, yeah, yeah. we started back in March 2020. I mean, the world imploded, well, and you think, crikey. The other thing about it, I mean, it's just a, tr- a daft comment, really, but... I still haven't got my head around the scale of it. Yeah, yeah. There are still sort of, really? <laughs> yeah. So I know over a billion people will be watching on television because I had that stat right from the start. And I know there are over one and a half million tickets. I've had that stat right from the start. But when you, when you and I start thinking about our city, and you think, one and a half million people coming here for 11 days? Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? So let, let, let me, we started chatting about all your roles. Yeah. So when the call must have come through, uh, Mr. John, listen, you've got a bit of spare time. Would you like to chair the Commonwealth Games? What was your thinking? Did you think, oh, this is, oh, this is huge? Because you, you are a pretty community-based person. Is that what drove you to say, I'll take this? Because it's a hell of a role. Yeah, so, yeah, so, no, no, yeah, so... I can't pretend I'm a deep thinker and I give it a lot of deep thought. I think you know from the, your, your role with me that the two things I've been absolutely committed to before I was Lord December, but all my career really, is one, promoting the Birmingham, and I include the West Midlands in there, yeah. because from the day I started working in 1971, manufacturer was 38, 
39% of our GDP here went down in single figures. Yeah. Yeah, we, every single year for 40 years, our GBA was less than the year before. So it was an awful statistic. Some of the poorest wards in Europe. Yeah, words like left behind and leveling up don't come near the challenge we faced here. At the end of that 40 years, when things were beginning to pick up and new sectors were taking off, yeah, yours, creative sector, mm. cultural sector, um, of course, we had this, you know, we had a global financial crisis. We had this new world austerity, yeah. all the cuts in public sector funding that we've had. So th- this has been a really rough time. So we've allowed other people to write our script, and they're not yeah. very flattering about us, yeah. and we haven't written our own. And ours is great. We've got a great story yeah. here, haven't we? So that always frustrated me. So I wanted to promote the middle as much as I could. I've always tried to do that. So what, what could be better than this? And then the other thing we've touched on already, that all our s- communities are a small city. You and I work tirelessly to try and knit them together. Yeah, we want everybody to know their neighbour, don't we, and know where they've come from, and, and be one single community. And again, this is a fantastic catalyst to, yeah. for that, isn't it? So once I, it wasn't something I was looking for. I didn't have any time. Yeah. Um, Diana probably was, you know, getting ready to shoot me. But in the end, those two things I've always focused. On. I thought, well, actually, I'm bonkers if I don't do this. Mm-hmm. Really, if if they really can't find anybody else. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting what you've just said, um, and, and people see the role of business of putting something back, and you're, you're a, a mm. great example. So would you say to other business leaders, do think about you can we put something back because it really is important? I think it's different than that. I don't know if I can share that. I think the bit they miss, and I really I know this. This is not, I believe, I, this is fact. It, it's it, when I'm it, it, take, I'll take your comment when I'm interviewing people to be trustees or a charity or something, and they say I want to give something back. I normally just quietly put a line through their name <laughs> in my head because actually, what you get from doing those things, you learn, you learn, you yeah. learn the whole time, yeah. and you can be chairing a deaf-blind charity sense, which I would give my life for, part of my family. Donna says part of our family. I can be there, you know, talking to deaf-blind people, or hearing what they're doing there, and there's something there that will be relevant to my business world. I can promise you. I could, I could give you, we haven't got time, I'll give you so many examples of that. I could be doing something in the creative sector, I could be at the Hippodrome thinking about something, listening to something, and I think, do you know what? That's completely relevant to my business over here. Obviously, I'll, I'll change it and twist it to make it relevant yeah, to that yeah, business, yeah. but the idea... So business people who, who, who stay in their own business and yeah. don't get out there and do other yeah. stuff, in the end, are limiting themselves. They're, they're going to end up doing the same thing in the same way. There's a miracle of difference in India. Yeah, you, you have to get out and welcome that. It, it's absolutely fact. And, and the more you do that, the better you'll, 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 the more you'll learn, the more you'll get out of business. I have no, no doubt about that. I know that as a fact. So it's not giving something back. You learn from it. You gain from it. You really do. And, and, and in your various chair roles, and, and you've got people mm. asking for Ned roles, so, so what do you look for when you look into their eyes? What do you look for then? As a, because there are a lot of people who want to become Neds or people who are chairs of Neds and looking for advice, and you've got a fantastic CV. What do you look for then? When in, as, in what? When in, in a Ned who wants to join a board that you're, that you're chair? What do you well, look if, for? If, if, um, what you should be trying to do uh, is, to, is to put pieces into a jigsaw. So take what we do in the lieutenancy. Yeah, so yeah, all the time I'm trying to put bits in a jigsaw. So I've got to cover a geographical area. Yes, I've got to cover um, beliefs, faith, heritage. I've got to cover skills. And so quite often I'll be thinking, I need a, I, I, yeah, I need a DL in a creative sector, someone who leads in that. So <coughs> I find Fiona Allen, and then she goes back to Australia. So I have to look for somebody else. Um, it, 
that's what you do with the board, isn't it? You look at the skills you've got because they're not they're not the same in every single board. No. Of course, they're not. When, when I chair things, I tend to, the things I take on. The first thing I do is think, well, can I, can I add any value to this? There's no point in sharing it just to turn up and chair meetings. I don't want to do that. Is there some, something in this business and these people where I can actually offer something that they need? And then I focus on that. So I, I'm not too good at all the, you know, spending lots of time on the governance and the rest of it. I, I don't want to ring the chief exec up every Friday and say, how's the cash? You know, that's the last thing I want to do. I want him to be ringing me or her to be ringing me saying, John, can you help me with this? And if I can't do that, I shouldn't be doing it. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and just sticking on to that before, then move on to the final comments. A lot of people who sit on non-exec boards and and chair find it difficult not to interfere. Yeah. I mean, you've just gave a great example of where not to interfere. Yeah. Any advice on how they manage sort of the non-exec role versus meddling too much? How, how do you? Well, not advice. I, I, I must. I've never found that. I think if you chair something, you know at the end of the day you are responsible for it. You are ultimately responsible for it. So in very simplistic terms, you have to make sure you've got a very strong team and you have to be thinking about that the whole time. You have to know that team, you have to listen to them uh, and you have to find ways of in, in being inquisitive without being you know, too obvious, really. So cups of tea and a beer after work. Oh, that's, yeah, getting to understand them. But at the end of the day, you've got to support them. You have to, the business has to be run by them. You're a menace. Yeah. You're an absolute menace if you turn up and wander around the building, you know, making daft comments, and you know, you're a menace. So you mustn't do that. It's pretty obvious, really, isn't it? But you're responsible for that chief executive being the best you can get. And if he's not, then or she's not, you have to look at that. And, and, and they say one of, the, one of the key roles of a chair is recruitment of talent yeah. and management of talent. And that's what really you're... You well, I think it's, it's picking the right people, isn't it? Mm. And... and I'm no better than anybody else. I've made lots of mistakes in my life. You know, what have I done here? Um, we've all done that, haven't we? But the culture as well. The culture is really important. I, for me, for me uh, I always think businesses have sort of four building blocks. So they have clients, so that's consumers and market and all the rest of it. They have profit, obviously, that's obvious. They have quality and they have people. And you work on those four constantly all the time and you'll build something really special. And I'm better at that than... In 10 years' time, then we're going to have maps all over the world and we're going to be a million people. I'm not very good at, I'm not very good at that. I'm, I like to build things up and keep moving. The whole, Diana says I move the goalposts the whole time. I do. Yeah, keep, once we get to there, move it on, yeah, move it on. on. But the people side of things, it, it's very simple. That if you, you will never have brighter, sexier, more attractive people than the next comp- competing business. I mean, you won't, however good you are at recruitment. So it's all about their motivation, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. all about developing a single team it's all about people working for each other not being territorial not being turf like well how do you get that well that's about insecurity isn't it and stress and where does stress come from well stress doesn't come from working hard you get you get tired and grumpy but it's not stressful what what keeps you awake at night is am i doing a good job what does my boss think of me am i safe you know am i going to get the next promotion so i've been a great believer all my working life uh, you know, to make sure all the people who work for me know exactly where they are and, and have an adult-adult relationship with them. People, you know, bosses talk about loyalty. That's just nonsense. You, know, you, you want people to work for you because they're, gain, they're gaining something from it. So in my simple terms, if I'm running a business and the business is seen to be successful, getting more successful, then they'll stay because it's adding to their CV, their own goodwill because they're, yeah. they're part of that business. If also they're learning something the whole time and adding to their skills, again, they're adding to their CV. So they'll be happy with me. 
and I say to them all the time, you know, you're an adult, don't be an employee. If you're getting bored with your work or not looking after, come and tell me. And that, you know, in my career, they always have. And, some, you know, and you have to sort it out. And you go away and find out what the issue is. Sometimes you have to come back and say, well, I'm very sorry, Nenda, actually, your boss is hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you don't want to say that, but you have to be honest. You know? And if you do that for a, a, long enough, people start to trust it. And then the stress goes away. So you I said, but why are you having a sleepless night about where you are in your career? Why aren't you asking me? Why aren't you talking to me? I said, at my old law firm, you know, people would dread getting in the lift with me or <laughs> going into the gents because I'd, I'd say, how are you getting on? You know, tell me. You know. And that's, that is so powerful. It's so powerful. Two things you've said there, and then I want you to add a third. So one you talked about is communication. It's communicating with people. Second one, you used the word trust. So people have got to be able to trust what you're saying. Mm. So... Uh, if you were advising people in leadership roles or thinking of going to leadership, you've talked to two of them, which is communication and trust. Could you add a third, something else in terms of leadership that you would... Well, leadership is all about fellowship, isn't it? Yeah, you can't have one without the other. So, yeah, what you take to bed with you every night is, how, yeah, how can I... People shouldn't trust me just because I, yeah, I say I sound good or say the right words. It's, it's about behaviour and conduct, isn't it? So it's grace under pressure. Never, ever lose your temper. Never shout at the member of staff. Why on earth would you want to do that? We've all been there. We've all made mistakes. The minute you do that, you're, you're, you're finished, in my view, as a leader. Think about it. You're lead by fear. Is that really what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the people listening. Yeah. Sounds like the old football yeah, What's that person's mum going to say when they know that you've destroyed <coughs> their kid's morale? Yeah. So you never, never lose it. Whatever's going on in your personal life, you know, grace under pressure at all times. Have a rough it is for you and I've had bad things in my life and I press the lift button on the basement when I park my car I thought I'm going to smile on crap here we go yeah, <laughs> you must do that or don't go to work as a leader um, half full not you know, never half empty I know they're worse yeah. but they matter they matter Nanda you have to be half full you have to be otherwise don't get into a leadership role it's not for you and, uh, <clears throat> and, and I suppose my f f sort of final question because time is almost up how they, they, they talk about self-awareness. As a leader, how, how do you know you're doing a good job as a leader? How, how do you look oh, at no, you, you tell? That's what you take to bed with you every night. You're never, <clears throat> you're never good enough, are you? No, that, that's the torture of it, isn't it? But I think... Uh, and, and, you know, my missus would say, I never do yips, that's what she says. So, we, you know, we won awards, I won awards. Businesses I've been involved in won plenty of awards. By the time we get them, I'm, you know, I'm just sort of, what? Okay. And she gets really cross with me. Come on, you meant to jump up and down. And well, no, that was last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Year end. Why am I interested in the audited accounts? You have done yeah. all that. I'm worried about next month. So you're never there, never there. And how important is goal setting? Do you think that's goal setting, setting goals? People always talk about. Oh, as a leader, you've got to set goals. People. Are well, that's never been me, to be honest with you. Uh, okay. No, I, no, I, no, not really. I come back to my building blocks. If you get all the people in the right place yeah. and you're, you're constantly working on equality, improving what you're doing, in other words, you never settle for where you are. You move the goalposts, that's, yeah, that's where I'd be. I'm not a great goal setter. The, if anybody had listened to this my old law firm, they'd, yeah. they'd say, you talked to me for half an hour, I've not said ham sandwich. Because <laughs> I'm a great believer in if you, if you put the bread on the water... I used to think it would come back butters, you know. It doesn't matter, it could take five years, you know. If you just conduct yourself in a way you would like people to conduct themselves with you and you're constantly trying to do your best, things come back from that that you don't expect. And then years and years ago, I down in Dartmouth where I had a boat and there was a beautiful picture of a ham sandwich 
bouncing off the water. And I went up to the artist and said, can I have that picture? And he said, no, no, I painted that. My, it was my dad's favourite expression. If you put the bread on the water, it would come back a ham sandwich. And then he said, so I'm not, it's not for sale. And he said, well, why do you want it? So I told him, and he went away, and then came back five minutes later, was all wrapped up and gave it to me. Wow. I, I have it on my wall at home. I've always believed in that. Yeah, if you want good things to happen to you, you have to do, do it yourself, don't you? Put the always put the bread on the water all the time. Always try and add value to everything you're doing, and then quirky, lovely things will happen to you that you weren't, yeah, that you weren't looking for. So I'm not good at setting goals. Or something, yeah. Interesting, John. Um, time is up. Um, it's been fascinating getting your insight into managing chairing the biggest global event to come in this country for decades. I think the World Cup was the last one, I think, where the eyes of the globe were on this country. Um, interesting hearing about all the issues of managing stakeholders, managing communities. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting giving your insight into why business leaders should get involved in their community outside of their business, not giving back, but actually learning from it. Um, managing and coping with things we don't know are going to happen that may happen um, and I, I, th I think you have great insight because you've been through many crises before this one probably didn't ruffle you as much because because of that and, and I thought um, your insights into leadership based on all those various roles you've had were very revealing I'm going to wish you the best with the Commonwealth Games. I'm going to need it. I'm, I'm hoping everything I, will go well, which I, I think I'm it will. To being done. Which, which <laughs> I think it will. Yeah. I think all the signs are great. We've got billions of people going to be tuning in to watch the most fascinating Commonwealth. It was the biggest athletics, I think, since and Tokyo, of course, didn't happen in the way it should have happened. So I'm going to wish you the best. Thank you, Linda. I thought I'd grab I you. I can absolutely promise you that the opening ceremony I, I will don't let jazz over here take any photographs or I'll be crying my eyes out absolutely promise you it'll be it'll just be fantastic won't it yes, I won't it will. Be, have a dry eye I won't it'll be impossible absolutely impossible it'll be so moving won't it it'll, and, 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 and I, I know that I, you can feel it now it's there just yeah it's uh, we need it here and we've earned it and, and I think John um, I applaud you for the time the effort you've put in for the city of Birmingham for the West Midlands and, and I think you're a great shining example how future generations should look at contributing to their region in which they're growing up they're living they're having their leisure and they work in and it's a fantastic city and it's a fantastic country and uh, you're the epitome of all of that so thank you very much for all you've done and Pleasure all you will continue thank to you. do thank you thank you and and by the way I know you don't like this, but um, John will be in the front cover of the Business Influencer magazine, so look at it. I love the photos we did earlier <laughs> on today. John, thank you very much, nice and have a day. great day. Thanks. Not at all. Pleasure, Nita. Thanks Cheers. very much. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode, and if so, please do leave a review. It all helps in promoting the podcast. Oh, and by the way, have a great day.